Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. In 1924, Witness Lee was dynamically saved by the Lord as a young man in his native China, and he promptly consecrated the rest of his life to the gospel. He co-labored with Watchman Nee for parts of the next three decades, and in 1962, Witness Lee was led by the Lord to come to the United States. During his 35 years of service to the Lord in America, he ministered in weekly meetings and weekend conferences, delivering thousands of spoken messages. Much of his speaking has since been published as more than 400 titles, many of which have been translated into numerous foreign languages. He gave his last public conference in February 1997 at the age of 91. We're happy today to be able to bring you recorded excerpts from his speaking and encourage you to contact us if you have any further questions or comments. Please send email to radio at lsm.org. Now, let's join today's program. For more than 20 centuries, God's people Israel have been under a kind of suffering, a chastisement at the hands of the surrounding nations. At the same time, God has been judging and punishing those nations for their excessive brutality towards Israel. And during this entire period, beginning from the incarnation of the Savior, Christ has been increasingly manifested on the earth. This clear, concise summary of the past centuries is the topic and focus of most of the Old Testament books of the prophets. Amos is one of the minor prophets that continues this revelation. Bob Danker has joined us for our sole program on the life study of Amos. Bob, it's a short book, about nine chapters, I think. Yet uh, we're seeing this thought that has been initiated through Hosea, through Joel, continued, don't we, that uh, there has been a kind of a chastisement of Israel at the hands of the human governments throughout now more than two millennia. Uh, and at the same time, Israel's been preserved. But behind the scenes, in, in a more hidden realm, something else has been brought forth. That's right, Chris. And I appreciate your overview here of the human history. When we look at human history, of course, there are many ways to look at it. But from the divine viewpoint, we see the nations around Israel, and we see this small nation of Israel, which uh, God chose out of all the nations at the time of Abraham to be a particular and peculiar people to himself for his purpose. Right. And yet Israel is not faithful to God, uh, not cooperating with God to carry out what is in God's heart. Uh, they had their own goals, and they had their own way of doing things. They were not one with God. So God had to use the nations surrounding them to chastise them. Yet the nations uh, also were quite evil mm. and uh, excessive in their brutality uh, against Israel. So God came in to judge the nations. So uh, here we have now for the last more than two millennia, this is really the crux of human history. Uh, it all involves these nations, the Gentile nations plus Israel, uh, and how God is using both to carry out something that is hidden in his heart and wasn't revealed that clearly in the Old Testament time until the New Testament age. Then God opened up his heart to the apostles in the New Testament. But we do have some glimpses in the Old Testament prophets 
including the major prophets and the minor prophets, that what God really wants to do among humankind is to manifest Christ, to bring Christ into the human race and to produce the body of Christ, the corporate Christ, mm. for the corporate manifestation of Christ, then God will bring in the consummation of the age. He will bring Christ back to the earth uh, to restore the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and the entire universe. And this is really the universal history <laughs> as we see it in the Bible. It's, it's quite marvelous, but uh, we need to plunge beneath the surface of all these external things that are going on related to the evils of Israel and the nations and God's judgment on Israel and the nations. Yeah, Amos is another one of these uh, minor prophets that uh, spends probably most of its uh, um, time devoted to these evils of Israel and the corresponding chastisement that comes upon Israel. Uh, But there are hints and little bits that can be uh, seen as an extract that point us to all these major things. As you were speaking, Bob, I just reflecting, you know, most of the minor prophets lived uh, seven, eight hundred years before Christ. I think uh, Amos is in that same time slot. And had there been newspapers in those days, the headlines would have been uh, not that much different, it seems, than the headlines of our newspapers today. Still, this is going on, isn't it? Still Israel in the center of things and the nations surrounding it all the time, the focus of uh the whole world's attention, and it's been that way now for so long. That's right, Chris, and this is an amazing thing that human beings cannot work out. Only God can cause this to happen according to his word and his eternal economy. Well, as I said, we're just doing the one program on this uh, book of Amos. I'm going to read a little bit from the beginning of Amos, uh, then a little bit from the middle of Amos, and then for our uh, continued fellowship, we'll touch a little bit from the last chapter. In chapter 1, the words of Amos, who was among the sheep tenders from Tycho, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel. So we have a uh, not a sophisticated city dweller. We have a shepherd, a tender of the flocks here. Um, but his speaking is very sweet. It's a very tender and sweet book. Now, let's jump ahead to the middle portion of the book in chapter 5. For thus says... Jehovah to the house of Israel, seek me and live. I love this verse. That is uh, Amos 5, 4. And then in verse 6, seek Jehovah and live, lest he rush upon the house of Joseph like fire, and it devour it, and there be none to extinguish the fire in Bethel. And then verses 20 to 23, Will not the day of Jehovah be darkness and not light, even deep darkness and no brightness to it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I will not delight in your solemn assemblies. For if you offer up to me burnt offerings and your meal offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard the peace offerings of your fatted animals. Take the noise of your songs away from me, for I will not hear the melody of your harps. Boy, Bob, a sober warning here. On the one hand, a call to seek and return to Jehovah. On the other hand, a somber warning that if we continue in our own way, avoiding even turning away from Jehovah, his presence cannot remain with us. Exactly. All right, here's Witness Lee for our first portion today. Amos is a countryman, a shepherd on the countryside, not a doctor, not learned, but very, very sweet, he's writing. Okay. 
Amos in Hebrew means burden bearer. He is a shepherd on the countryside, but he got a burden from God. The sinful thought. Jehovah punishes the nations, teaching Israel as the center that the age of restoration may be brought in for the kingdom of David, which is the kingdom of Christ. Very simple. But this is the central thought of the book. Uh, All the prophets are on the same subject, yet each one gives us a different picture from a different angle with a different aspect. So it is worthwhile to read. If you have never read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all these minor prophets, you could not realize how evil, how evil the children of Israel were. And God was so loving toward them. But their kind of response, you couldn't believe. And this is why 200 years before the coming of Nebuchadnezzar, God sent, even the Lord Jesus refers to this, the Lord said, God sent you prophets, not just one, prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the minor prophets to you from God to warn you, to advise you, to call you, to return. You never heard. You never take heed of. So eventually, this forced God to send them the four kinds of Lucas for 27 centuries. My, we ought to learn the lesson. God means business. You couldn't believe that God would uh, send them nothing but locusts. For the 20th centuries, if you read the history of Israel, you could see this. In the past 20th century, even including today, what has come and what will come and what is coming to Israel from God. Nothing locusts. Four great empires occupied the entire capacity of human government. Everyone is taken by God as a locust. Everyone is a can locust. One cutting, one swarming, one leaking, the other one consuming. And today, the Roman Empire is still consuming here. And the small Israel still suffering. This is still the history. The history is not ended. It's not finished. Bob, he makes reference again uh, to this matter that we saw in Joel, that is of the four locusts representing these four great human empires, the same four that Daniel saw uh, as he interpreted the king's dream back in Daniel chapter 2. And what struck me here is that 200 years before Nebuchadnezzar, the first of these great four, and of course he came and devoured Israel, took them captive, but 200 years before that, God had raised up these prophets, and they make these statements like, seek me and live, right? Seek Jehovah and live. Turn back, come back. I mean, here is a loving, compassionate God pleading with his unfaithful spouse to return to him. That's a a wonderful picture, Chris. We just see that God did not get angry with Israel 
in a moment and then come in and consume them. No, he was full of love toward his chosen ones, and he considered them his spouse, even his wife. But his wife became unfaithful. Uh, Yet we see God again and again through the prophets speaking to his unfaithful people, calling them to come back. If they would seek him, they would live. If they would not seek him, then they would suffer the destruction of God's judgment upon them. But this judgment didn't come quickly. It came after a very long time of God's loving, a pleading with them to come back, even pointing out their sins to them through the prophets. Why did God point out their sins? Not to condemn them, but so that they would repent. They would realize how low they had become, how sinful they had become, and then they would have a turn. They would hate their sinfulness and have a turn. And this is the Lord's, of course, this is his gracious work among us as well as his New Testament believers. He comes to us through his word, through the ministers of his word, through other believers in Christ, and he unveils our real condition to us For what purpose? To condemn us? No, so that we would repent, turn to him, and so that he could impart himself as life into us so that we will live. That means in the New Testament terms, we will have God himself as our life. Bob, as we've seen through some of our previous programs dealing with other of these minor prophets, Hosea and Joel, one of the things that was also spoken of repeatedly, prophesied by these ones, was the end of all of the chastisement, the end of the punishment of Israel. Ultimately, a restoration is promised. Of course, for us, as his New Testament people, this coincides with the coming of Christ again and the manifestation of his kingdom for a thousand years. But Amos also speaks of the restoration in chapter 9, doesn't he? He does. After a long speaking about God's chastisement and judgment, he reaches this wonderful matter of the restoration. Let's take a minute and look at a couple of these verses and have a little fellowship on this point because it is, a, I would say, probably the high point in the entire book of Amos. Chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. In that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David, and I will wall up its breaches and raise up its ruins and build it up as it was in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations which are called by my name, declares Jehovah who does this. Bob, these verses are quoted in the New Testament in the book of Acts, aren't they? They are. During the conference in Jerusalem concerning the the Gentile believers, uh, of course, Paul gave his testimony of how he had contacted the Gentiles. Peter did the same. At the end of the conference, James quoted these very verses in Amos to point out that, according to the prophecies, the Gentiles would eventually become God's people. Therefore, going to the Gentiles was according to the prophecies of the Old Testament prophets. So, God included the Gentiles in his New Testament economy according to his prophecy here. So, uh, not only Israel, but even the nations, and especially during the age of restoration. The nations will belong to God. Today, we cannot say that in a general way, but in the millennium, all the nations will be God's people. Talk about this phrase, uh, the fallen tabernacle of David, in the footnote 
in the recovery version of the book of Amos, uh, there's a clear reference here that this not only points to the age of restoration coming for Israel, but also is a, an indication of the coming of Christ, isn't it? That's right. In a number of the Old Testament books, including Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, and now Amos, David is identified with Christ. The prophecy says that David will come. Who is this David who will come? Well, this David is Christ himself, who is the real David. Of course, David was a man after God's heart, one who was very much appreciated by God. And God gave the kingship to David and raised him up to be the king of Israel. Even God swore to David that one of his own descendants would sit on the throne of David forever. Now, this one, of course, we know is Christ, uh, the one who will reign as the real David in the millennium and even in eternity. So all the prophets, or many of the prophets, refer to the coming of David, uh, a day when David would come and the kingdom of David would be restored and the royal family of David, which had been humiliated by the uh, Babylonian invasion, all the the captivity and destruction, right? right? The family of David was nearly destroyed. Uh, as we go through the history of the Old Testament. But, of course, when we come to the New Testament, God had a part of that family reserved to bring Christ in as a descendant of David. So Christ came as the real David. He will come as the real David in his second coming, and this will be a time of restoration to the kingdom of Israel and to the family of David. That kingdom had fallen in the captivity of Israel, and it will be raised up again in the age of restoration by Christ. For the last more than 20 centuries, there has been no king in Israel. But when Christ comes, the kingdom will be restored. Of course, uh, the kingdom of David originally was in the uh, visible realm. The first coming of Christ was in the visible realm. The second coming of Christ will also be in the visible realm. But between these great visible events, there has been a lot of activity in the not-so-visible realm. While Israel has been under this uh, chastisement, this suffering, God has been doing something related to Christ, raising up a manifestation, a presence of Christ, not just at his literal coming, but even in the entire church age that has been going on now for 2,000 years Reminds me of a verse, Bob, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Because we do not regard the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's Witness Lee for our final portion today. Well, such a situation is going on in the universe. Aha, God did something marvelous. He came to be incarnated, to be a man. And he lived on this earth to set up a model how to have a divine life expressed in humanity, how to have all the divine attributes expressed in the human virtues for 33 and a half years. Then he went to die. Not a common death. He died a particular death for others for sinners, for our sins. And then he entered into resurrection. And then he ascended 
then he was proud in his decision to be one with us, to produce a corporate Christ, that is the body of Christ. All these things are mysterious. No people can see these things. But these things are the things which accomplish God's economy. And this is the kernel of God's economy. The chastising of Israel and the punishment upon the nations, they are the nut shells. They are not the kernel. The kernel is these things from incarnation to the second appearing of Christ. And today we are here for this. When you read the Old Testament, especially the prophets, you should hold what we have stressed here. If you don't hold these, you don't have any governing principle. You forgot the controlling factors. Try the best to pick up the controlling factors. Bob, I really appreciate his fellowship in this last section. You know, it's so easy to have Bible study and to look at all these things, these prophecies, the world situation, how it's all worked out, and get thoroughly occupied and caught up and focused on these things and miss, as he said, the kernel of what God's economy is really all about. That is absolutely right, Chris. Without a a word like this from Witness Lee, I think we also would miss this kernel. (laughs) But thank the Lord we have this word that points us to the kernel of God's economy that is going on uh, in the midst of the human history, all the outward things. God is doing something marvelous. First of all, he entered into humanity to become a man. Isn't this marvelous? It's marvelous. It's unthinkable (laughs) that the eternal God, uh, the omnipotent God, would become a small man. But he did. He entered into a man, and he became one with that man. That man was Christ. And that was the beginning, as you pointed out, of the manifestation of Christ. And then this Christ lived a human life on the earth. He died a wonderful death. He resurrected and he ascended and he poured himself down on the human race as the spirit, the all-inclusive consummated spirit for man to receive. Those who receive this outpoured spirit, they become the members of the church as the body of Christ which Christ is the head. Christ is the head. We are the body. This is the corporate Christ, which is the corporate manifestation of Christ. Today, what is God doing in the midst of all the history that we read about in the newspapers, in the textbooks, uh, and so forth? We watch on the news, on television, in the midst of all of this, what is God doing today? He is building up this corporate Christ to be the corporate manifestation of Christ. Then when this corporate Christ is fully built up, then Christ will come in an open way, visible to every eye on this earth, and he will bring in the age of restoration which the Old Testament prophets prophesied about. So this, again, the visible part of God's economy will continue. But now, Everything is invisible. What God is doing today is within us. It's inside of his chosen people. It's not very much in the physical realm. Bob, I'd like to close with another verse from the New Testament, though it refers back to one of the great figures in the Old Testament, Moses. Uh, We read uh, a moment ago in 2 Corinthians that there are the unseen things 
Now in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, it says, By faith he, meaning Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he persevered as one seeing the unseen one. It's not just the unseen things. Of all the unseen things, the main is the unseen one. And that's good we could end up focused on him once again, Bob. I agree, Chris. Well, we hope you uh, have benefited from this one program on this short book uh, of the Minor Prophets, the book of Amos. If you'd like to get the printed life study messages, there's actually three printed messages on Amos. And uh, we still have several of the Minor Prophets to go, so still time to get that and be able to have that as you follow us along each day on the radio. Our toll-free number, if you'd like to find out about that, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY, 888-543-3788. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thanks very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee ministered the Word of God for over seven decades. Many consider these life studies as his seminal work, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible from the perspective of the believer's enjoyment and experience of God's divine life in Christ through the Spirit. If you'd like to find more about Witness Lee, these life study messages, or any of the materials provided by Living Stream Ministry, please visit our website, lsm.org. That's lsm.org. You can also email us, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Thanks for listening today.